Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're been focusing on Corinthians. Uh, last uh, week we did 1 Corinthians, and uh, I assume we're going to get into 2 Corinthians here today. But a number of announcements. Uh, we have the Burning Bush Festival coming up, which is our fall festival out here in Summer Lake. And if you want to know more, you can go to burningbushfestival.org or uh, go to see us on Facebook. Just look up Burning Bush Festival, all one word, and uh, you'll find us on Facebook. And, of course, the best way is to join the network by going to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and clicking on the network links and join the network in your area. Uh, the uh, network is based on geography. The living network is based on the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which Christ commanded his ministers organize the people in those ten hundreds and thousands. While they were supposed to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, how they make them do it is uh, is not like the world. I mean, they don't force anybody. The people literally have to organize themselves. But it's a requirement of Christ for his disciples to require that the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they can rightly divide the bread from house to house. Unfortunately, most churches don't divide the bread from house to house. They send the people to the men who exercise authority one over the other, who call themselves benefactors, and they say, if you need your daily bread, you pray to them for your daily bread. We're just here to make you feel good and tickle your ears on Sundays and Sabbaths. And that's the problem. And we're calling those institutions the church when they're actually not the church. They're often workers of iniquity. I had a conversation just yesterday with somebody who talks about uh, being born again and that it's a relationship that I hear this all the time. It's a relationship. Everything is a relationship. Your relationship with the governments of the world is a relationship. Your relationship with your neighbor next door is a relationship. Your relationship with your spouse is a relationship. Your relationship with your children is a relationship. But the reality is, is that your relationship with God can be interfered with by your relationship with all those other things, that God has to come first. You have to love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's just not loving your neighbor much when you send men to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, which is the way of the world. And we're going to get into that in Second Corinthians where they talk about the way of the world and the way of men and the way of God. And uh, we're going to see a distinction between that because they talk about those ways in terms of the spirit, the spirit of men, the spirit of the world, the spirit of God. And what spirit 
you operate from is the way in which you will go. Like I say often, all roads lead to Rome and all roads lead to the kingdom of heaven. It's all dependent upon the direction you're going. So I I did write an article this week called uh, Savages, Perfect Savages. And uh, that's a phrase that I take from Polybius who was a Corinthian. And he was in Corinth when Rome had one of his first disputes with Corinth. Corinth was an ally of Rome. But uh, it wasn't always as faithful an ally as Rome wanted it to be. And so they kind of had falling out from time to time. And one of the times they required that some of their high up officials in Corinth and uh, respected men of Corinth be moved to Rome and operate out of Rome. And uh, they were kind of hostages you had to kind of understand i mean even paul was kind of a hostage when he stayed in uh, rome and we refer to him as a prisoner because we're trying to figure out exactly what the deal was he had to stay in rome he kind of had his run of the city he could go around he went you know that sometimes you see paintings of a big huge ball and chain attached, attached to he was just kind of under a house arrest but the house that he was staying in was probably what they called uh, Britannica, Britannica, and uh, that's where the king of Great Britain, or at least one of the main kings of Great Britain, uh, stayed, and uh, Linus and Claudia and others who were early Christians uh, were staying there because they were from Great Britain. And if you go look at Preparing You, we have a number of pages on Paul and and uh, the epistles of Paul, and uh, it goes through the lineage of Paul. Paul was related uh, by marriage, his second, his his mother's second husband, after uh, Paul's father died, was actually a famous Roman. And so R- Paul had a half-brother who was actually a Roman. And you can read about that at Preparing You. So, this Rome idea of keeping somebody as a hostage or as a, kind of a prisoner, uh, yet they they weren't in a dungeon. They were kind of under house arrest and they were expected to stay there. And uh, they had all the comforts of home. And Paul did a lot of his writings from Rome. And... Uh, it was because of the fact that Rome did not really trust these people traveling around and they hadn't really decided what to do with them. And so that's where Paul stayed with with his relatives there. Uh, because Claudia, uh, who was the daughter of that king, her name originally wasn't Claudia, but uh, was named Claudia by the emperor uh, Claudius, because he was so impressed with her, poets wrote about her, and uh, she uh, was married to the son of Paul's half-brother. So all these people kind of knew each other, and they were operating, but there was a conflict between the way some of these people thought, and some of these other people thought, 
And uh, they allowed for that conflict, but eventually they wouldn't allow for that conflict. When we want to understand what the conflict between Christianity and the Romans was, people say, oh, because the, uh, the Romans believed in multiple gods and we only believed in one god. Well, that's kind of true, but that really doesn't explain exactly what that conflict was all about. And uh, what was happening is Rome, the Roman citizen, the Roman inhabitants were becoming these perfect savages that Polybius talked about. He saw the process beginning to take place 150 years before Christ. And uh, I see the same process going on in America for the last 100 years. I mean, it's 2019 today. And, uh, and what was going on in America in 2019? Well, we had already established the Federal Reserve. We were moving our way towards a uh, Social Security system. And Social Security is based on the idea of welfare as, as well. And Medicare, Medicaid are all based on the idea that the government is your benefactor. It will divide the resources, the di- rightly divide the bread, so to speak, from house to house, but it accumulates that bread by forced offerings, by taxing the people, by compelling a sacrifice of the people. And if you don't sacrifice, they come in and arrest you or threaten to arrest you or penalize you or fine you. And so that you must sacrifice and then they rightly divide that sacrifice from house to house. Rome originally did took care of the needy through charity. Israel originally took care of the needy through charity. and But many other nations did the same. Corinth did the same. But then they moved away from that system of charity to a system of forced offerings and what we would call today socialism, even, even so far as to say communism. And communism is based on redistribution redistribution of wealth through forced offerings and uh, socialism is the same Christianity believed in the redistribution of wealth through free will offerings Judaism believed in the redistribution of wealth through free will offerings so that's the distinction that's the conflict and those that are accustomed to taking away from their neighbor. You can read the article, Perfect Savages, uh, at uh, preparingyou.com. And uh, those that were accustomed to taking from their neighbor through the agency of governments that they created or elected or accepted, those societies began to degenerate. And that's what we are seeing today with the modern liberal who are yelling and shouting down people and won't let them speak and are offended by everything. And are actually, you got Antifa out there, supposed to be anti-fascist, and they're out there hitting people with pipes and rocks and throwing bottles and injuring people because they don't like what they think. They are the fascists. The anti-fascists are the fascists of today. (laughs) They want to force everybody. And they savagely attack old men and newspaper reporters, or at least reporters, 
and uh, beat them and chase men and women down and beat them. And they are the perfect savages of a system of socialism and violence because they want to take away from everybody. They even attack people that were supporting their liberal causes. But anyway, I'm not going to go into the Perfect Savage page right now. I might do that this afternoon, but we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Just a quick review of chapter 1. In the sidebar, we talk about the baptism and what it meant to become a, a Christian. There was these divisions in Corinth, and we'll see that as we move along. The following verse uh, 10 in that uh, first part of First Corinthians, they perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Well, what kind of judgment? Well, the way in which the system of Christianity was organized in these tens, hundreds, and thousands is that ten heads of families gathered together in these free assemblies and shared what they had with those that had need. They would also share outside their congregation, and they would share through the entire congregations of congregations through a network of ministers in that tens, hundreds, and thousands. But which, of course, formed what we call the church today. Whenever we say that word church, that's actually the called out, the ecclesia. That's not all the congregants. That's the ministers who are called out to provide the uh, functionality of this network of charity based on tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they had certain restrictions put on them by Christ that separated them out from the world but allowed them to receive the contributions of the people and rightly divide that bread from house to house. At first we see them doing it in the temple, but of course they weren't doing it in the temple in Corinth, in Galatia. They were the temple, each individual. So this uh, perfectly joined together in charity rather than by contracts, covenants, and constitutions. They they weren't taking oaths, they weren't binding themselves, they weren't uh, forcing contributions, but they were taking care of one another. And this was so different from what Rome had become that some of the Romans hated Christians because it kind of made them look bad. <laughs> so anyway, the baptism of modern Christians leaves us in a social path where your welfare was to be the result of these forced offerings of men who called themselves benefactors. But the baptism of the early Christians provided uh, a daily ministration that was the result of these free will offerings. Because they lived by charity and faith rather than entitlements and force. And that was the distinction between Christians and Romans. Yeah, they had a multiplicity of gods and all that stuff, but then you have to kind of understand what all that meant uh, to understand that they didn't really care whether you went to the Temple of Diana or uh, or whether you went to a temple called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Roma. Even, even Herod the Great built a Temple of Roma for those who like the, uh, like the customs of Roma. 
And, uh, but they, the function of those temples was to provide the social welfare for the people, that, that free bread that we always hear Rome talking about. Christians provided that free bread, but they did it through faith, hope, and charity, and this was what made them practicers of pure religion and doers of the word, because the, while the Pharisees their system of sacrifice, their system of Corbin was making the word of God to none effect. The Corbin of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, which was to love one another through charity, was making the word of God to effect. And we're going to talk a little bit about, eventually we'll get into a little bit of the metaphysics of that difference and what comes about because of that. But anyway, going back now to 1 Corinthians 2, we start off with, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He, he didn't come with that. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, we're going to see that, you know, where he talks about the spirit of men. In this particular case, we see the word power. And uh, that word power is dunamis. Because there's several words that are translated power. We see in Romans 13, they have a word there that is translated power. But it's not dunamis. It's exousia. And that, or excusia. And that particular word had to do with liberty. It's even translated liberty. So when he says you know, when he talks about this uh, liberty that we are to remain subject to this power he's talking about remaining subject to liberty because all liberty is of God and there is no liberty but of God and anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. But here in this verse we're seeing the word dunamis translated power and that 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 word dunamis uh, actually is translated uh, miracles strength mighty works uh, and uh, and power but it it specifically has to do with the strength and power and ability of an individual or a group of individuals and that's that's the power that we see mentioned there in in those two verses. He says, "But the power of God, the ability of God, he's talking about the spirit of power, uh, demonstrate of the spirit and of power." He's talking about, but the power of God. Now, how that power of God works in us, we have to open up our hearts and our minds to receive that. And, you know, when Jesus says, I don't eat, you know, live by bread alone, but by the power of God that, you know, that comes to him. Does that power of God also come to you? 
And that's what Paul, Paul's not coming with, you know, uh, rhetoric and doctrines and explanations uh, and philosophies and all these kinds of things. He's just coming with the idea of Christ crucified. Now he's coming to a group of people that are now taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They're not going to the Roman temples to get the free bread of Rome. They're not actually going to the temple, generally speaking, in Jerusalem, where the apostles were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They're in Corinth. Now, it is true that right away we see in the Acts of the Apostles that uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent with funds to help out people that were having a dearth, in other words, a depression, but on the day-to-day basis, these people did not go to the temple. But they did go to church, where they rightly divided bread from house to house to help people through hard times. Corinth was fairly wealthy. It wasn't having a lot of hard times. But in the days to come, there was going to be difficulties in Corinth. Because there was a division and conflict in Corinth. Some people wanted to go this new way of socialism. Others wanted to go the way of Christ, which was to take care of the needy and pure religion through faith, hope, and charity. So, when we're reading that, if we don't understand that process that was going on at that time in Corinth and in the Roman Empire and those choices that people were making in the Roman Empire, we may not quite understand what Paul is talking about. People... Again, just the other day, I was talking to somebody. He says, we're just saved by the blood. We're bathed in the blood. We're washed in the blood. That's a great phrase, and it's not necessarily untrue. But if you don't understand the depths of what it means, you may be delusional. You may end up thinking you're a follower of Christ, even boasting that you're a follower of Christ. But when you actually confront the real Christ... He may say, as he foretold that he would, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. Because you're not doing what Christ commanded. Even Paul says, look at these people here that are doing this, 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 this big long list of all kinds of things, covetous practice, fornication, all these things. They have no inheritance in the kingdom. No matter what they think. They have no inheritance in the kingdom. They're actually workers of iniquity and they will be cast out. So, what you want to make sure, and we're warned by Peter and John and James to test our faith, test our own faith. What is the works of our life actually producing? Are we producing and making the word of God to not effect or are we making the word of God to effect? So, in verse, starting in verse 6 through 9, uh, I'll read uh, Matthew Henry's concise commentary on that, uh, on chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Those who receive the doctrine of Christ as divine and having been enlightened by the Holy Spirit, he says. Well, when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom, we're going to find out what it means to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're looking at uh, verses 6 and 9 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In this particular chapter, uh, which is actually a rather short chapter, we're going to see certain things about uh, 
Paul's approach to the Corinthians. He's he's not coming to create huge doctrinal messages and 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 uh, great oration or anything like that. But he's talking about Jesus Christ and uh, Him crucified. In other words, He's the King. That's going to include what Jesus Christ said, the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Problem is, you know, when I talk to people all the time, they start espousing what they've learned as doctrine, and you say, where does it actually say that in the Bible? Well, that's what they mean. And I says, well, that's not what Christ said. Doesn't in Christ somebody who says what he means? The doctrines of Christ are what Christ taught. They aren't the manufactured doctrines of men who create whole systems of doctrine, sometimes around a single word that is mistranslated. And then they avoid the simplicity of the gospel, which is to love God, which has a certain character of a creator, a giver of life, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If everybody if everybody who said that they were a Christian was actually doing that, not coveting their neighbor's goods and not backbiting and not, you know, fornicating with the world and taking oaths to get benefits at their neighbor's expense. If they were actually doing what Christ said, the world would be a different place than it is today. So, as I said in the commentaries of uh, uh, Matthew, he says is in his concise commentaries, he says, those who receive the doctrines of Christ as divine, having been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And I have a link there on the page where you can go and see more of the commentary, because I'm just taking bits and pieces out. And uh, there's actually several places here, but let's read verses 6 through 9 to see what they're talking about. Howbeit we speak wisdom amongst them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, and the word there is aeon, nor of the princes of this world, which again is the word aeon, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. In other words, it's confusing to a lot of people. They don't really understand. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world. And again, that's that word aeon, which means age, before the age. So you could actually substitute the word age there. The wisdom of the age, nor the princes of this age, this time period. Uh, the the wisdom which God ordained before this age unto our glory, which none of the princes of the world age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen an ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So, 
revelation. This is, Jesus made this very clear when he was talking to the apostles and he asked them, who am I, who am I, who am I, three times. And the only one who could answer was Peter, who was known as Simon Barjona. Uh, and he answered, and he answered correctly. And Jesus said to him that he was blessed and called him Peter. And he said, blessed because this knowing of me is not by the knowledge of men, but literally by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's the revelation of God in you that allows you to see what others were having difficulty seeing and, and maybe saying. So he spoke out boldly that, and he was correct, but he knew this not by the knowledge of men. So why would Paul come and try to impart knowledge and the wisdom of men in order to get you to understand Christ crucified? You see, a lot of people say, yeah, I'm washed in the blood, Christ crucified, but they don't really know what they're talking about. And how will you know which one does know what he's talking about and which one doesn't know what he's talking about? Well, James tells us, by their works you shall know them. And really, Paul says the same thing because he has that big long list of things. If they're doing this, 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 and this, or this, have nothing to do with them because they have no inheritance in the kingdom. So it's, it's, you're not, you don't earn salvation where God owes it to you, but what you're doing will tell us whether or not you really believe. Because if you think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of government to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor and curse your neighbor's children with debt in order to obtain those benefits, then you're, you're actually under a strong delusion. And that you're, you're not going according to the ways of Christ. So we see in, uh, Going on to verse, we actually, I read into verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by the Spirit. So that's how we know, is by the Spirit. We need to check our Spirit with that Spirit of God, which is manifest in the Bible. And if we're not doing what Christ actually said to do, then that tells us that we don't really love him. Because John tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so if you're not keeping his commandments, whatever he commanded, and he, we know he commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Some people say, oh, well, that was just for then. But if 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 that were true, I mean... He's making them sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands before there's any loaves and fishes. There's supposedly a shortage of food, and he says, make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now we're talking 5,000 men and their families, so we're talking maybe 20,000 people have to organize themselves in these tens, hundreds, and thousands before there's going to be any free bread. <laughs> before there was going to, the apostles are going to rightly divide the bread from Group to group, so that everybody has enough. He, they, they have to sit down in these other groups. Well, certainly, at Pentecost, when everybody was cast out of the welfare system, uh, that had been built up by Herod and the Pharisees, a system based on forced offerings, forced Corbin, 
which is making the word of God the non effect, if if the people were gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the rightly dividing that bread from house to house will be much simpler. If they're just thousands of people showing up and nobody's organized, it's not going to happen. It's not going to... Uh, they're not going to be able to rightly divide the bread from house to house. Now, we have the Burning Bush Festival coming up, which is our fall festival, and right now we always have it around this time of year because it's a holiday, natural holiday in America, and uh, the weather is still pretty warm out here on the desert. Uh, we're high, pretty high altitude. If we waited till October... Uh, or late September, sometimes there are storms and it gets cold. And we may do that from time to time. If we start getting enough people that are coming, the more and more people we come, we might have more than one festival a year just to accommodate everybody. But around here, a lot of people are saying, well, we need to start getting ready and we need to start preparing for everybody. And I kind of put it off. And I'm criticized for that from time to time, which is okay. Because... I'm not supposed to prepare for everybody. Uh, they're not my guests. They're supposed to be God's guests. And so the, the idea is that they are preparing. They're working together to make sure there's enough food here, that there's enough accommodations for everybody. I mean, it's corresponding with the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tents where everybody's supposed to come. Self-sustained. Not only able to take care of themselves, but also willing to provide so that we can take care of everybody for some of those who may not have brought enough or maybe came from a long ways and couldn't carry as much. But the idea is that they need to be preparing right now to come. I mean, we've had, in the years past, we had some people that showed up and and I didn't recognize them. And I said, so what brings you here? Well, we saw the signs. So they saw the signs showing where the festival was, and we had it out on the church property. And uh, they just came for the free meal. They weren't part of anything. They just they thought, well, maybe there's something to see out there. We'll just come out, and, and we were feeding. You know, we, everybody pulled food, and we'd made big meals. And, you know, they were baking pizza in a stone oven. And, and uh, I think there was salmon, and there was a lot of other different kinds of food and everything. And these people just came up and got in line <laughs> and started getting a free meal. Now, it is true that the uh, Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, well, you're supposed to invite all the people round about. But it isn't it isn't just a free giveaway. Everybody round about is supposed to, you know, it's kind of like a potluck, which actually is an Indian word, potlatch, uh, where everybody brings a share. And that's what the first Thanksgiving was. It was really kind of a potlatch where everybody was supposed to bring something and then there was a big feast. But it isn't like we sit around cooking all day and all night and preparing and going to the grocery store. You're supposed to bring your own provisions. You're supposed to be a blessing to everybody who gathers and everybody is struggling to be the bigger and bigger blessing. Well, that is the spirit that goes on throughout the kingdom every day, everywhere. And when you have millions of people who are trying to outdo each other on righteous giving, 
you will have more than an abundance, not simply because everybody's going to be able to provide everything is needed, but because you will receive the blessing and the dunamis of God, the power of God, which will allow you to provide where others simply don't have enough. Because this mysterious power of God kicks in and opens up doors of provisions that you would not know otherwise. So, if we go on and read in verse 11, For what knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? So, what spirit is in you? Is it the spirit of man or is it the spirit of God? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. No man knows the things of God. But the Spirit of God reveals it to him. That's how it works. It has to be revealed to you. In verse 12, they talk about the Spirit of the world. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. And the word world there is not the word aeon, spirit of the age, but the word spirit of the constitutional order and system of men, systems of government of men. And at that time, Rome, Corinth, many of the other city-states were setting up systems of forced offerings and national welfare. And they did this through the temples. Temples like Moneta that minted coin and the temple of uh, Janus that was like an investment brokerage and the temple of Ephesus which was like an underwriter banking system. So you had all these different, you know, with the, the most secure vault in all the Mediterranean. And, and so all these systems of the world were a part of the social security system of the world to make sure that people did not fall through the cracks. Of course, people did fall through the cracks and the systems became bankrupt and thieves and robbers broke in and stole thieves like Nero and and supposedly he married a Jewish princess. I haven't figured out who she was yet, but uh, that he supposedly uh, escaped his death in Rome and then... Uh, sailed to Israel or Judea and then married this Jewish princess and then went to the north. At least that's what legend has it. And that, that legend goes way back to the days of Nero and for hundreds of years afterwards and is perpetuated even to this day. Now, is it true or not? Well, we've talked about that in other places. But the reality was is that it is definitely true that the great treasuries of Rome were pilfered by somebody <laughs> because a lot of the money went missing. Now, we see the same thing going on in the United States. It was just before uh, 911 that, uh, was what was it, $17 billion or something like that showed up missing from the uh, Pentagon. And then the next day, they get Pentagon gets struck by whatever it was that blew up the Pentagon. And... Uh, and nobody's done any research to find out what happened to all that money. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, because they've all been preoccupied with terrorism, terrorism, terrorism. And uh, and we had to look at in that direction instead of in the direction of what happened to the money. Uh, 
you're supposed to follow the money, but everybody got distracted. Uh, but anyway, that's the spirit of the world. And this is what, you know, verses 11 and 12 is talking about this spirit of man, spirit of God. And then in verse 12, the spirit of the world. But the spirit which is of God is different. That we might know things that are freely given to us of God. See, if you were taking the benefits of Rome, you know, the free bread of Rome, the free cheese, they gave free wine, they gave free money, they they had lots of things. It wasn't just bread. But it was not freely given of the gods of Rome. If you were a partaker, in order to be a partaker, you had to receive this little uh, disc that identified you. And uh, we have pictures of them preparing you, where you can go look it up, the little tessera. And that would identify you. You could get into the games. You could get free bread, you know, at the temple. And, you know, life was good. But it wasn't freely given because it made you a member. And when they needed to draft somebody, they could draft you. They could draft your kids because you were registered with them. And that was one of the things we talk about that in places that some of the apostles. I mean, why did he pick apostles that were fishermen and these other guys? Because many of them were not registered. They were unregistered. Well, that was a common thing with the scenes. They would not partake of the welfare system of the Pharisees. They had their own system of welfare that was based on charity, which was unique for those times. But the Essenes were extremely popular. And I'm sure that many of the Essenes became the early Christians because so many of their teachings were identical to that of what we hear Christ saying. But in verse 13, we see which... Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And, uh, you know, I have a page, Spiritual DNA, you can look it up, I'm preparing you. You know, somebody was pointing out the fact that they, they actually would take DNA you know, tissue from an individual and put it into another room and then they would stimulate the emotions of that individual in this first room and measure the reaction of the DNA in the other room. And simultaneously, without any time lapsing, the tissue in the other room reacted when that individual was uh, emotionally reacting in the first room. So, what is that? And they're saying this has to do with quantum and DNA and everything. So, DNA is this double helix. At least part of your DNA is a double helix. There's also epigenetic material. And we also know that uh, light acts differently when it's observed and You know, they're doing all these quantum experiments. And, you know, light's supposed to be a wave or is it a particle? But, you know, when light is sent by single particles through a double slit, it acts like a wave even though it's not a wave at the time it's sent sent through. 
and they have all that you can go and read all these but the point is is that light is passing through your dna all the time you know you ever take a flashlight and you you know in a dark room and you put your hand over it you can almost see the bones in your hand because light is actually to some degree most of it is reflected off but you can actually that light literally is passing through your skin i mean you're 75 percent water so that's reasonable and uh it's not a lot of light you can't see a projection like a x-ray on the wall of your hand but we know that that light is passing through so a lot of that light and whatever substance that photon is passing through whether it's ether or whatever you want to call it is passing through uh is also passing through your hand and through your dna and so somehow or other, the signals that are being generated in your body where you're getting these emotional stimulations are showing up in this uh, tissue, tissue sample in another room. And so, and then if you do study of, you know, twins where they, you know, are separated at birth and yet there still seems to be some sort of connection between those twins or uh, a child that is, uh, we've talked about this in past programs, where a child is uh, sent home with the wrong parents. And so she's in the wrong family. And and uh, the other one is in, you know, the other child, they switched them. And the other one is with the wrong family too, a different wrong family. And yet many of her characteristics remain the same. And, and you know, she has the same picture on the wall as her brother uh, in the other family, why are these connections? What, you know, we think, oh, I just like that picture. Or, oh, I just always like that name. And you find out your twin is naming their kids the same name. And you've never known the twin separated at birth. How are these things going about? Is there's actually some sort of DNA cellular communication across time and space? Well, now, whose DNA do you want to have? Whose spiritual character do you want imprinted in you? You know, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the light and the life. So it's his DNA you want. And see, that's one of the things about epigenetics is epigenetics can turn on elements of your own DNA in in the system. So the DNA is a physical representation of a spiritual reality is that we can become quantumly or spiritually connected in another realm, on another level, if we are following the ways of Christ. We cannot follow the ways of Christ until we accept the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of God. And so, it isn't about studying doctrines and and ideologies, it's about truly accepting the real Christ into your heart, the real God the Father into your heart, and then acting upon that spirit as if it is your spirit. I mean, that's what faith is. Faith is trust in something that compels actions. Well, if you have faith in the real God, not the imagined God or the conjure up an image of God, but the actual real God, then it's going to produce 
similar results in all those who really accept God. And those who accept an image of God created by theologians and preachers, they're going to act in another way. You know, like somebody says, well, how would you know? Uh, you know, you have to have this relationship because how would you know what, you know, unless you studied the Bible and stuff. Well, Christ is very clear about the fact that he's going to tell a lot of people who think they're Christians, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. He he tells us he's going to do that. And yet there's other people, he says, you come into the kingdom and they don't even know why. They're, why us? Why do you want us in here? He says, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was sick, you, you came and helped me. And they said, when do we do these things? We don't even remember doing these things. And they said, when you did them to the least of my brethren. Now, a lot of people think, well, that just means go out there and be charitable to everybody. But that's not what he's talking about. He didn't say, because you did this to the least of the poor. He says, because you did it to the least of the brethren. And who are the brethren? He also explained that. The brethren are those people who are doing the will of the Father. He who does the will of my Father is my brother. He says that. My brethren. So, there are people who are doing the will of God, which is, includes not coveting your neighbors. They're not becoming perfect savages. They're becoming the saints. They're separating from the world. And they are, of course, nowadays, that makes life a little difficult. Are you, do you recognize that spirit in the, the brethren of Christ? Do you recognize the brethren of Christ? What kind of ministers are you picking? Because this, this is, this is how you, we will know whether you're moving from the spirit of God or the spirit of man. We'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. This this very short chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is uh, really kind of critical. And he's, he's making it very clear the spirit of man and or spirit of men because some of those spirits are different. And there's the spirit of the world, which a lot of men have the spirit of the world. But then there's the spirit of God. And that's also the spirit of righteousness. And the spirit of men think that it's okay to force one another to contribute to your welfare, to be covetous, and to engage in covetous practices, even though the New Testament tells us that this will make you merchandise, it will curse your children, and make them surety for debt. But people still do it because men are, people are following the wisdom of men and the doctrines of men and not the doctrines of Christ, which said you are not to be engaged in covetous practice. You were not to covet. You know, a guy kept saying, you know, I kept pointing out that Paul says that if you do this, 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 you know, big long list, you have no inheritance in the kingdom and I'm not supposed to have anything to do with you. And he says, oh, well, now that's if you habitually sin. <laughs> so I, I guess you, now and then fornication is okay, you know, but actually it's the national fornication that's the problem. And the national fornication is about coveting your neighbor's goods and desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And that is, you know, a pretty regular event that is habitual in today's modern Christian society. That it's okay to desire 
to seek the kingdom of God. And he says, well, this was all passed before when I was a kid or before I was born and, and I don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, you do because you're applying to those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Now, the reality is I'm fully aware of the fact that many people cannot survive without their Social Security and their Medicare and the Medicaid. And I'm not telling them to throw those things away. I'm telling them what the gospel tells you to seek the other way, <laughs> which means to learn to sit down in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands and to look out amongst yourself and pick men you trust and organize yourself in a system of charity so that you can take care of one another without going to the men who exercise authority. Because we know we're not supposed to be that way because Christ says it's not to be that way with you. Yet with a modern Christian, it is that way and they're not doing much to change it. They're going to the preachers that tickle their ears and tell them that they're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, which of course you are, if you are really saved, but maybe you're not really saved and you're actually a worker of iniquity not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and so therefore you are condemned by your sloth and wantonness. You do not live according to the perfect law of liberty. You live according to force because you're still forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. So this process of seeking is a process of turning around. And that turning around begins with turning around your thinking. And it requires a certain amount of humility that you're going to go this other way. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. The Spirit of God, this idea of living by faith, open charity, people say that's foolish. Yet Samuel said it was foolishness when Saul forced the sacrifice of the people to provide for what was a legitimate Provision. He needed to support his army to fight the Philistines. And so he forced a sacrifice. And that was called foolish by Samuel. But most of the people of the world today would tell you it's foolish not to. You know, I was pointing out again, I've, I've told this story many times, in World War One, they had troops over there fighting in the French trenches, you know, fighting the Germans in World War One, and they their ambulance service consisted mostly of horse-drawn wagons. And the horses just couldn't work day and night, and they were wounded day and night, and so they couldn't keep up with it. So they said they needed mechanical ambulances, in other words, trucks. And then, of course, they're going to need drivers. So what did they do? Tax the people to get those ambulances? No. The people contributed to charity... You know, they, they knew how to do this, and they bought 2,000 ambulances, which was a lot of ambulances considering the amount of people. There was a lot more people in World War II than there was in World War I. But they bought 2,000 ambulances and paid for the salaries for the drivers of those ambulances in order to get men off the front lines to the back, you know, where they could be triaged in, into the hospitals. And, you know, this was a constant shuttle going back and forth with these 2,000 ambulances, which could go day and night, and they had 2,000 drivers. And, of course, they could get more people to drive as time went on, but this was all done by charity. We don't even think in those terms. Well, the, the government should pay for it. But back 
you know, a hundred years ago in World War One, we were still realizing that we should do all this stuff by charity. And that's the way most all welfare was, is by charity. And it, and it worked really well. I mean, there were still poor people around, but there's still poor people around now. There's the homeless, look at the homeless in Los Angeles and San Francisco. I mean, I just saw a piece where they're, they're very worried about typhus and, and bubonic plague carried by rats that can be, start spreading and, and have a, a virtual plague. Well, we already know that, you know, uh, the different types of tuberculosis and, and syphilis that don't respond to penicillin are widespread in, in these areas. And it's getting worse and worse. And yet you have a gigantic welfare system, and yet you have more poor, your war on poverty is creating more po- poorer people than ever before in the United States. And we didn't have people living in the streets everywhere in the United States. It just didn't happen. People were very successful. And, and why is that changing? It's not the fault of capitalism. It's the fault of socialism. But anyway, the same kind of things were starting to happen in Rome. Uh, breakdown of the family. You can go through the whole thing. And uh, orphans everywhere because people were not raising their children. Infanticide was common. Abortions were common. And this was a breakdown of society because it was society is composed of families and the new generation is born inside of families. When the family breaks down, the next generation breaks down and society breaks down. So in verse 13, we say, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches us, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. And the reality is you can compare physical things with spiritual things. Because the spirit comes first. And then the physical world is actually molded. That's another thing that scientists were discovering. Is that the presence of DNA altered the patterns of photons. Photons were generally, if you put them in a a vacuum, they will be random. But if you put DNA in that same vacuum space, the photons begin to become ordered. Now, exactly how that happens, they don't really get yet. But kind of look at DNA as thousands of thousands and thousands of double slits. (laughs) And light is passing through. And if you pass a single photon through the double slits, and then it strikes a plate on the other side, which the theory is, is that when the the waves pass through the double slits, that they begin to have peaks and ebbs where they, uh, because it's two slits, they, they begin to spread out and cross each other. But if you're sending single photons through, there is no wave crossing each other wave, yet the same pattern will appear upon the plate where the photons are striking. And they can't figure out, how is that possible? And they also know that photons will act differently if they're observed than when they're not observed. So your observation of the photon will change what the photon is doing. So they can't have, you know, it's almost impossible to have, you know, a double-blind test because somebody wants to observe it. (laughs) You know, and I heard a bunch of 
physicists kind of making a joke about that and were asking why this was and that it says because a physicist way in the future imagined that it would be this way <laughs> so it was actually affecting it. it it's phenomenal that your thoughts are actually in, affecting the environment around you we know that your thoughts your emotions can affect your DNA even when your DNA is detached from your body you can affect your DNA in another room. But you can actually affect photons in the room that you're in by the presence of your DNA. Or even take a portion of your DNA and put into the... So that there's... Now, what happens if you're in a big crowd of people? If you gather with a bunch of people and they're all thinking this way over here, which is the way of the world or the way of men... And you're thinking this other way. Well, guess what? The way of God trumps all. I mean, that is the ultimate trump, is God's spirit. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not telling you to be mingling with all kinds of people that are, you know, bad and evil and all that stuff. But the reality is, if you, you know, when you're first beginning to walk according to the Holy Spirit, you should kind of isolate yourself from time to time, certainly when you meditate upon, you know, where you're at in, in God's universe. It's good to get away from everybody else because they have an influence on you. But ultimately, when you're influenced by the Holy Spirit of God, that will trump all others. And it will trump disease. Even disease will part from you. Health will come. So... In verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because he's all in the world, and of the world, and of the flesh. And so that interferes with the character of God manifesting itself in you, because you're looking to the natural satisfactions of the world rather than the righteousness of God that these things that are of the Spirit of God are considered foolish by men, can he know them because they are spiritually discerned? Yeah, you're not going to see the ways of God. And this is the thing I've warned people that are beginning to see the ways of God and beginning to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, beginning to operate according to the charitable way of Christ. But then you kind of fall away from that. I mean, everybody will be tempted to fall away. You know, I mean, he has whole parables about the seeds, you know, being choked out by the weeds. So that's why you have to be careful and being picked up by the birds and and dried up because there's no water. And that, yeah, there are certain things you should do in order to be cultivated in the ways of God. Because there's a lot of hazards out there. So people will start to gather together and they'll fall away from that. They'll stop doing certain things that they were doing before. And then they can't even remember what it is that attracted them originally to the teachings, the true teachings of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, this always worries me when I hear people parroting back things that I say. I don't want you to parrot back. I want you to move according to the Holy Spirit. And then what you say will be according to what God wants you to say, not according to what you remember. And the intellectuals are, 
are the worst violators of this, or they had the greatest temptation of this. Because they remember what I said. A lot of the other people, they may not remember what I said. So if they're saying what I said, it's not because they memorized it. It's because it's they're listening to the same Spirit of God that I seek to listen to. So in verse 15 it says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So, if the presence of the DNA, your DNA, will alter photons in a room, what does the presence of Christ in your heart and your mind do to the light in the room, to your DNA? Can it reprogram you? Is this what being born again is? Putting on the character of Christ, doing everything in the name of Christ, doing things, you know, that people say, what would Jesus do? Well, what are you doing? Are you doing what Jesus would do? You can't emulate it. But when you really, see, this is the people with the predestination. I was going to talk about this a little bit as, People talk about predestination, and they most of them have it all wrong. And, of course, even the Calvinists, they have at least five different interpretations of predestination and, and Calvinism. And uh, very di- at least five that are distinct. Some would say three that are distinct. But, you know, and I don't want to go into all that. It just confuses people. But the reality is you you make a choice. To accept the real Christ, not your emotional Christ, not your imagined Christ, but the real Christ, the real, not your opinion of Christ, but really who Christ is. You accept it into your heart. It will alter what you do. And that's why James tells us by what they do, we will know them. By their works, we will know them. Well, I would know them by their works, I guess, because I know what the works are supposed to be. <laughs> but if if Christians think the works are supposed to be that you say a particular thing, you say, Lord, Lord, they haven't listened to Jesus. And that's the Jesus uh, Paul preached first. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do with the will of the Father. So what is the will of the Father? Well, it's certainly not to covet thy neighbor's goods through men and call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other that's not the will of the father and so he's talking to corinthians that are dealing with these issues and we're going to see that more as we go through corinthians so i had a few questions on this page before we go on to uh, the next chapter which we can probably get started in the next chapter it says uh and, and this afternoon if i get time to schedule the afternoon show we'll uh We'll talk about perfect savages and some other people that, uh, Butker and, uh, William John Henry, uh, Butker, uh, who's an American religious leader and some of the things he said because he spoke in a period of time when socialism was on the rise. I mean, he was born in 1874 and, uh, he could see the problem with it. I mean, I knew, know of ministers who back then said that the social security number was the mark of the beast. And, of course, people say, well, I can't because it has to be worldwide. Well, the fact is the Social Security number is worldwide. (laughs) 
because all the social security numbers, whether you're in, you know, El Salvador or Haiti or, or Australia are all linked together by treaties. And, uh, those treaties are worldwide. So it is the number by which you can obtain benefits at the expense of your neighbor or at the, the expense of your neighbor's children. Because all these countries, and I do mean all these countries, borrow against the future of your children to provide you with benefits today. You're not getting any Social Security payments because of the money that you paid in. That's gone. All Social Security systems, national insurance systems, all of them across the board, I can't, show me if you can find one that's not, they're all operating in debt. And the United States has made it clear by the Supreme Court that there is no division of funds. There is no trust fund. Whatever goes in is in a common purse. It's all in one fund. And if the United States is operating in the red, then Social Security is operating in the red. In other words, it's operating on borrowed money. And since it's borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing, that people say in such and such a time it'll bank. It started because the United States was bankrupt. That's why Social Security started. It's always been bankrupt. It's never been solvent. Except in the mind of a few salespeople in the press. But in reality, there is no division of funds. So it's always been bankrupt. And if you had been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, with the fervent nature of the early church, it would be okay. Uh, it would it would punish the wicked, but you would be immune to it. But you haven't been. So you're in need of repentance. But anyway, going back to uh, some of the questions that I put together in uh, the, this section, it says, uh, Can the mind of Christ and the mind of God in Christ be fully made known to us through the Holy Scripture? Or is it through the Holy Spirit? Well, it's very clear here. It's not the Scripture. Because that's the wisdom of men. I mean, you the Scriptures may be in divinely inspired, but are you divinely inspired when you read it? You know, if if you're reading the wisest book in the world, but you don't understand the words, you're not reading wisdom. You're just reading words. There is no wisdom in the book. The wisdom is of God can only dwell in men. The book was well-written, reasonably well-written, somewhat well-translated. I, I can't say any of the translations are that great. But it doesn't matter if you're operating from the Holy Spirit. But if you're just going to be operating from the scripture, then you're going to be dependent upon your personal intellect, the wisdom of men. So can any man read the Holy Scriptures without using the pride of carnal reasoning? And that's in quotes, which is opposed to spirituality. Again, in quotes, because that's, you're not going to figure it out by reading the Bible, unless you have the Holy Spirit. How do you know if someone is listening to the true Holy Spirit, except by what they do? 
Now, it isn't a guarantee because they can fake what they do and you, you can't see everything they do. But if they're not doing things according to the way of Christ, then you can pretty much count that they're not following the Holy Spirit. They may be in some areas, but not in other areas. And that's why it says seek and strive and persevere is because it's a process. So the question is, are you a doer of the word or are you making the word of God to none effect by your Corbin? And of course, there are many live links on that page where you can go read articles if you're unfamiliar with these things. But uh, we can start to touch on uh, 1 Corinthians 3. We have a little bit of time here. It, it, it begins, and I, brethren, and he's talking to brethren here. He's not talking to the whole congregation but the, the the brethren would be the ministers, and the ministers will be reading to the congregation. Now, you have to, people will say, oh, you're separating the church and the people. Of course, the people in the church have always been separate. But the purpose of the church is to help people find their way back to God, because the church is not a government of force. It's a government of service. And it can't serve anybody unless the congregants are following the Holy Spirit and doing rightly and picking the right ministers and funding the ministers in a way that is righteous. And, and of course, the mission of the church is to actually be that social welfare, the daily ministration of the people, for the people, and by the people through faith, hope, and charity, rather than the daily ministration of the world, which is through force, fear, and violence. Contracts, taking oaths, compulsion. These are two different ways. One way is the way of Christ, and the other one is the way of the world. So, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto cardinal even as one unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, and whereas there is amongst you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one faith I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal to even think in that way? So he's, because you're, you're dividing up in teams. See, when we have different congregations in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, these are not competitive teams. These are supposed to be mutual free assemblies of love. Because it, it's not enough that you just love those people in your congregation. And they will be, many of them will be, have problems and faults. But it doesn't mean you can't love them. I mean, many of your children have problems and faults. But don't you love them just the same? But look at the people who join the congregation and abandon the congregation because it's not doing what they want. It's not saying things the way they want. The same people will abandon their wives and their husbands. And even their children, they'll estrange their own children. And it's easy, it should be easy to love your family, but people find it difficult at times. And it should be easy to love your congregation because they're there and supposed to be there for you as much as you're supposed to be there for them. 
But that's loving those who love you. That Christ says you have to love those you don't even know. And that's all the other congregations. You have to be casting your bread upon the waters. And that's because what 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 benefit are you going to have if you only love those who love you? And then what is love? Is love means they have to accept me and they have to promote me and they have to promote my ideas. Those are the wisdom of men. No, you're supposed to be promoting Christ and the ways of Christ. And instead of making excuses, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in this First Corinthians chapter 3, we see that they're they're talking about this division that's going on amongst the Corinthians where some are saying, I'm of Apollo and I'm a, of uh, Paul, etc. And, and and if you look in um, uh, Matthew Henry's uh, commentaries, he says, uh, contentions and quarrels about religion are s- sad evidence of carnality. True religion makes men peaceable. Not contentious. Well, what does pure religion make people? But it is to be lamented, he says, that many who should walk as Christians live and act too much like other men. Many professors and preachers also show themselves to be yet carnal by vainglorious strife, eagerness, for dispute and readiness to despise and speak evil of others. That's a little bit more carnal than that you have to be in order to be carnal, but certainly that does fall under that heading. But the reality is is that when you're talking about religion, what is pure religion? It's how you take care of the needy of your society. You know, what is an orphan's and needy of your society? And what makes it pure is that it is unspotted by the world, which is the constitutional orders and systems of government that use force rather than faith. And so the more you use faith and the less you use force, the closer you get to the kingdom and the less carnal you become. But those who create divisions amongst the tens, hundreds, and thousands and divide congregations and abandon congregations are abandoning Christ. They're, they're just, they're going off on doctrinal issues, dividing people, oh, I gotta do it this way, I gotta do it that way. You don't even have a daily ministration anymore. You've just abandoned everybody else in the network. Now, if the network starts to grow, that sin becomes greater and greater. But, you have to gather together to love one another. Not just those who love you, but those you don't even know. And that's what the tens, hundreds, and thousands were all about. Those 5,000 men and their families sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands at the times of the loaves and fishes did not know everybody there. They may have known everybody in their congregation and a few people in other congregations, but they had to organize themselves or there would be no distribution of bread from house to house from family to family, from group to group. We see in verse 5, Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Now, I have planted, he says. Apollos watered. 
but God gave the increase. Now, this is very important. That when he planted what? Did Apollos plant Apollos? Did Paul plant Paul? Or did he, what he's saying from the beginning is, I planted Christ. I preached Christ first. I preached Christ crucified. I preached the character of Christ who said, who, who though he was rich, made himself poor. Who sacrificed himself for others. That should be the character of a Christian is that he comes together not to receive, but to give, freely give, and then he will freely receive. I lay down my life that I may pick it up more abundantly. This is the principle that is repeated over and over again in the universe and in the gospel. I have planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is the uh, planted anything. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. God gives the increase. God sets the pattern that brings the increase. God is, you know, the light that that creates the 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 world and the universe around us. You know, they're saying that just the presence of your DNA will begin to organize photons in a vacuum. Well, the presence of God's DNA will create new things where there was nothing. And the DNA of God is the pattern of God, the character of God, the name of God. And so, if we're not doing things the way Christ did them, then we are probably not saved. We probably don't know him. And of course, the Pharisees thought they knew Moses, but they were not doing things the way of Moses, and therefore they could not even recognize Christ. The question today is, would you recognize Christ? Would you recognize the gospel of Christ if somebody told it to you? If you do, then maybe Christ lives in you. But now are you striving, persevering, and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness to the full extent of the character of Christ? In verse 8 we see, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Whoa! You're going to receive your reward according to your works. <laughs> Which, of course, it says in Revelations as well. But everybody says, oh, no, it's not by works, it's by faith. Well, absolutely, but your faith causes works of righteousness. If your faith is real, if you're not doing works of righteousness, then your faith may not be real. And it is not righteous to covet thy neighbor's goods. To force thy neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That is just simply not righteous. And you should be turning around your thinking and thinking the way that Christ said to think. Which is what Paul is really saying. That it's not me. It's not Apollos. It's Christ and what Christ said. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. 
So what does he mean? Husbandry. That's how you take care of things. Husbandry, uh, taking care of plants, taking care of animals, you know, making sure they have food and water. Do you go to church to share with those that don't have enough? That's why they went to the early church. Those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. But you don't even have that concept in the churches because if you need anything, you're your daily bread, you go to the gods of the world. The men who exercised authority one over the other. That Jesus said it was not to be that way with you, but the modern minister says that it is okay with you. For we are laborers together. What is he talking about? He's talking about the brethren and all the congregation. We labor together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. There is no bread to rightly divide from house to house unless the people provide that bread. You are God's building. You are God's temple. Individually and collectively. But the collectiveness of the kingdom is not by contracts and oaths, but by faith, hope, and charity. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth, thereupon. So that every man has that responsibility. That you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and you get to contribute according to the way you see fit and righteous. Because it, it, it you have to take heed because you have to be giving charity in a way that strengthens the poor. You are the advisors of your minister. He must follow the Holy Spirit and you must allow him. What do you see in the world today? They don't allow you to say certain things. They don't allow you to do certain things. They want to take away your your right to bear arms, your right to freedom of speech, your right to privacy. They want to take all these things away from you. The kingdom of God is just the reverse. We want you to have the right to make choices with your own resources. We want you to have the right to speak. We want you to have the right to privacy. We want you to have all those and, and, and because of that, we want that because we want it for ourselves. We have to love your rights as much as we love our own. That's the nature of the kingdom. So you see an army of people rising up in the world that are the adversaries of Christ. And the adversaries of the kingdom. And it's, it's growing stronger and stronger. And even those who oppose it, they only oppose the extremeness of it. They themselves, they still want their public schools. They still want their social security at the expense of their children. Uh, I mean, parents should survive at the expense of their children. Their children should be making enough to support their parents. So their parents don't have to work on their old age. You know, I mean, they should work as long as they can. But, you know, we, we're taking care of people that are 80, 90 years old. And uh, their children are not always doing as much as they should. I just had a talk with one of those children yesterday. <laughs> 
and uh, and said, "That's great that you're doing this, and it's great that you're doing it this way, but it's not enough. You need to be seeking the kingdom in all things, always." And that's the thing with this, the carnal and spiritual, is that it, the battle is in each of you. It's not just between each of you. If you're fighting amongst yourselves, then there's probably a bigger battle in yourself. Because you have to be built up in Christ by living as Christ lived. And Christ came to wash the feet of the apostles. Not to hit them over the head with a crucifix. And so you should be doing the same thing. Not hitting people over the head with your doctrines. But sticking to the simplicity of the doctrines of Christ. So I have laid the foundation, he says, and another buildeth. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Are we doing it through faith, open charity? We see a lot of Christians have suddenly decided, let's do it like Rome. Let's force our neighbors to contribute to our welfare. We'll start a big treasury and we'll put a huge amount of funds in the treasury and we'll all be socially secure because, of course, none of that is actually taking place. But that's what they imagine. But that's the wisdom of the men and the wisdom of the world. That's not the wisdom of God. I've heard men who go to regular churches and everything who are beginning to see this, but we need to not only see it, but we need to come together and become doers of the word. For, you know, go down to verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what is that? You know, what what is he saying? Jesus Christ is the foundation. Well, what did Jesus Christ do? Like I said, he was rich, he made himself poor, he came to wash the feet of the apostles, he did not want to rule over people. What were the temptations of Christ? We have an article on that explaining that this is the temptation we all have. And pastors want to rule, I've seen this so many times, where they want to rule over their congregation. And part of that, well, all of it is because they're not really operating from the Spirit of Christ. Part of it is um, promoted by uh, translations that are not wholly accurate. And, and they're not necessarily inaccurate, but because they use certain words, they're open to private interpretation. But the Bible is not there for private interpretation. You can only interpret it by virtue of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not interpreting it by virtue of the Holy Spirit, poor translations can lend themselves to falsehoods. And that's what we see often in the world today, which is why the thing posing as a church is so contrary to what the early church was. So verse 12 goes on to say, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because It shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So that, that, that's a kind of a scary thing. So we've been working for a long time. Where's our, where's our proof? 
in the work that we've been doing. Well, see, you know, and Paul gets into this. Some want signs and wonders. They want to see them. You know, remember when Christ's first miracles, he told people to tell nobody. They could go tell the priests, but they weren't to tell anybody else. Why? Because he didn't want people to believe by signs and wonders. So we're looking for people who will come together without the signs and wonders. Like I said, when the, when the signs and wonders come along, when the large crowds come along, we'll have a different set of problems. But one of the big problems today is that people come along and they start going this way and then they, they, they are not satisfied enough by doing what Christ said. They want to impose their will on others and when they find they can't do that, then they abandon all. Not a good thing. They need to repent, come back, and continue to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There will come a fire that will test what we're doing. That actually has been. I just don't tell you all the stories. But it's it's showing me how the system of God works. I know how the system of the world works. But in order to know the system of God, it can only be revealed by the Spirit. So that's why I don't talk about all the things that I could talk about. If any man's works abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer a loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Okay, so that's that, that, you know, Christ was killed, crucified, but yet his kingdom came back stronger than another. He laid down his life that he may pick it up more abundantly. So a lot of times when people look and they say, well, where's your success? They don't, they're judging by the knowledge and wisdom of men. Or they say, where's your failure? They may be also judging by the knowledge of men. And not the wisdom of God. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Well, it does that on an individual basis, but it also does that on a collective basis. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So, now, the, the, every strand of DNA in your body is a part of the whole body. And it's the accumulation of those billions of DNA strands that allows you to be emotionalized in one room and a sample of your DNA to respond in another room. By the same token, when the spiritual DNA of Christ is dwelling in you according to the way of Christ, the character of Christ, and the name of Christ, then you become that temple of God and it will trump all the other influences from outside and from the world and the flesh and the devil. Let no man deceive himself if any man among you seemeth to be wise in the world age. Let him become a fool and he may be wise. See, these people who divide the congregation with their intellectual wisdom, no, they should become the fool and be patient and serve 
in that congregation in righteousness. For the wisdom of this world, constitutional order system of government, that's not the word aeon, is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. I mean, the, the system is bringing itself down. The systems of the world will bring themselves down in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Now, this is the foolishly wise, not the real wise. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas of the war or the world uh, or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. That that is encompassing everything. That I mean that is not just talking about a place. But it's talking about time. It transcends even time. That this is, this is where it's at, is to seek that kingdom of God and his righteousness and not create divisions amongst you that divide you off. You want to come together in this vast network, which was the early church. But the binding elements of that is the same love that Christ had for all when he came and was willing to take on that cup he did not desire, but took on that cup of sacrifice. So also should we be taking on a cup of sacrifice so that we may be blessed to one to another. And that's why you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands is because it's, there's not magic in the pattern. There's the magic, if we don't even really want to use the word magic, but the mystery is in the spirit of God that dwelleth in that pattern. Because lots of people had that pattern. Nimrod even had that pattern of tens, hundreds, and thousands, but he appointed them from the top down. We were not to appoint the people, but we were to require that the people sit down in their own voluntary groups of tens, hundreds, and thousands because in the maintenance of the daily ministration, we are creating that double-slit blind test that will create the pattern of the kingdom in everything that we do and everything that we see we will begin to understand things that we did not understand before. So we looked a little bit at the the, uh, contentions and quarrels, and we should not be having this. In verses 5 and 7, So neither are you denominations. And there's a live link to uh, an article on denominations. There is only one denominator in Christianity, and that is Christ. So, Paul is saying, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, seems to be putting a value on works, and on capitalism, and opposed to socialism, because socialism you get reward according to other people's works, not according to your own works. So, socialism is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. Socialism wants a redistribution of wealth, and there is a redistribution of wealth in Christianity. But it's your choice. You're at liberty. You're exousia. 
is the liberty of of God in you to make that choice. In other words, you don't really make the choice, but it's God making the choice in you, but the choice is made through you, which it takes us back to that phrase that we see in here that's talking about us as, you know, common laborers working together. Ye are God's husbandry. And, but you have a choice in how you do that. So there's a lot more there and we'll talk more about this next time on, on Keys of the Kingdom. And, uh, if you have any comments, join us on the network and share them. If you have any questions, share them on the network. Join in your area. Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. And until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.